This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Kompsik for Libby's Nimer. Considering it's National Non-Smoking Week, it's a chance to see how far Canadians have come in butting out and how far they still have to go, especially vaping among youth, which is quite high. Also, the Ford government's now dedicating a team of investigators to look into allegations of nursing homes not protecting residents from abuse or neglect. Negligent operators could be staring at fines and or jail time. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The American Red Cross has seen a huge drop in blood donations over the last 20 years, and experts blame younger generations. One survey found donations from 16 to 18-year-olds dropped 60% and down nearly a third among those 19 to 24. The agency says it would need 8,000 weekly donations this month to meet demands. Minimum height and weight requirements imposed by the FDA might be why fewer young people are donating. Anyone who donates blood must weigh at least 110 pounds, and there are additional height and weight requirements for those under 18. China's population fell by 2 million last year for a second straight year, as deaths jumped and births dropped even after the end of the one-child policy. The number of deaths rose to 11 million, more than double the previous year's increase, driven by an aging population and widespread COVID outbreaks. With a population of 1.4 billion, China had long been the most populated country in the world, but has dropped to second behind India. Price of gas is soaring over 500% in Cuba, as that country struggles with shortages and a deepening economic crisis beginning next month when a lot of Canadian tourists escape to the tropical island, the price of a liter will rise to 12 pesos. That's over $10 Canadian. The world could get its first trillionaire within 10 years. Anti-poverty group Oxfam says the gap between the super-rich and the rest of the world has been supercharged since the pandemic. The fortunes of the five richest men, Elon Musk, Bernard Arnault, Jeff Bezos, Larry Ellison, and Warren Buffett have spiked 114%. Oxfam's interim executive director says it shows the world's entering a decade of division. The world's first fully AI-powered restaurant has just opened in Southern California. Robots cook the burgers, deep-fry the french fries at Cali Express, and guests can watch the robots prepare their meals from start to finish after placing an order. The company's CEO says, to his knowledge, this is the world's first operating restaurant where both ordering and every cooking process are fully automated. The restaurant will also double as a museum experience. 
still with AI, as creepy as it sounds, artificial intelligence claims to predict when someone will die based on just four data points, income, your job, where you live, and history of pregnancy and injury. The so-called death calculator claims to have a nearly 80% accuracy rate. Life2Vec functions as a chatbot like ChatGBT and was developed by a team of Danish and American scientists who stress the potential of this calculator is to help people change their lifestyle and reduce the likelihood of premature death. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A quick quiz now. What's the leading preventable cause of disease and death in this country? If you said tobacco, you're right. With 46,000 dying from it each year and National Non-Smoking Week upon us, the Canadian Cancer Society's Rob Cunningham looks at how far we've come and also how much more we've got to go. National Non-Smoking Week in Canada began in 1977, and it was started by the Canadian Cancer Society, uh, Heart and Stroke, and the Canadian Lung Association, collectively through the newly created Canadian Council on Smoking Health. And there was an effort to collaborate more, to really tackle smoking, because awareness and the studies with respect to the health effects have been growing and growing. It had been the case that there was a U.S. Surgeon General's report in 1964 with respect to smoking and lung cancer. The prior year, the Canadian Health Minister, Judy LaMarche, had a similar statement in Canada in 1963. But it took some time, but eventually... There was a real desire. We've got to really move faster on this. Okay, now what were the numbers back then? Obviously, people smoked a lot more because not as much possibly was really known or paid attention to. Yeah, so back then, in 1965, 50% of Canadians smoked, including 61% of men and 39% of women. We've made a lot of progress since then. Women were still on the increase, and they really wouldn't start to decrease until the 1980s part because of the social changes and, you know, the social acceptability of marketing from the tobacco companies, all of their advertising. So it was really elevated compared to the most recent data in Canada at 11.6%. So, you know, a tremendous amount of progress. What's the goal here? Obviously zero, but realistically, what's the goal here? We have an objective in Canada set by the federal government of less than 5% by the year 2035. And, you know, that's achievable. We have a lot of work that remains to be done, many measures that can be implemented, you know, whether it's higher tobacco taxes, whether it's, you know, we have a new round of health warnings just appearing on store shelves now, the first time they've been changed on cigarette packages since 2012. You know, that provides educational value, it increases awareness. One thing that is getting more attention is having a minimum age of 21 for youth for both tobacco and e-cigarettes. PEI has already done that. We've had 30 U.S. states that have done that, and it works, you know, to help reduce uh, youth smoking. You know, limiting the number of stores that can sell tobacco, you know, it shouldn't be sold in every convenience store and gas station. We don't have cannabis sold that way. What is needed is a comprehensive set of measures of taxation, regulation, enhanced programming such as cessation services, and we can achieve what we want to achieve. Do you believe that minimum 21 age is doable, achievable, realistically, across the country now? Yeah, public opinion polls show 75% support uh, by Canadians. That's very high, you know, for an opinion poll. People do not want 
their kids or their grandkids to smoke or to vape. You know, people are very concerned by this increase in youth vaping all of a sudden. You know, we have made progress to reduce uh, youth smoking, but now we have a new generation of kids getting hooked on nicotine uh, through cigarettes. That shouldn't be happening, but it is, and we need to respond. You know, and PEI, where they adopted this in 2019, it's an absolute non-issue publicly. It has tremendous support. And I, I do expect we're going to, you know, especially when we have 30 states in the U.S. that have done it, I expect it's very viable in Canada. Let's take a look at, you mentioned about the new cigarette warning labels. Uh, this is being done in addition to the labels on the individual cigarettes, not labels, but I guess statements and, and whatnot that can be found on cigarettes now too, right? Well, that's right. There's a phased-in approach, um, and uh, the the government announced these new warnings on individual cigarettes on May 31st uh, last uh, last year. And you know, the manufacturers still have a number of months before they have to have all of their products to make that change. Change in the cigarette packages are part of the same regulation, in addition to the warnings on individual cigarettes. And you know, we want to have something that you simply can't ignore. Prompts discussion provides information about the health awareness, and we know that they work, part because of the opposition from tobacco companies over many years. And if, you know, they're concerned about uh, reducing cigarette sales, of course, from a health perspective, we want cigarette sales uh, to go down. It's radio. Words are used to paint pictures, so let's use some words here in describing what are some of these uh, labels that those who still do smoke are going to be seeing on their packs? So there's going to be a set of 14 different warnings. Um, They include pictures. You know, a picture says a thousand words. But some of them, for the first time, there's going to be a warning of uh, tongue cancer in Canada, and it's going to show a cancerous tumor um, on a tongue. There's going to be one with neck cancer showing, you know, that cancer, you know, affecting the neck. Stomach cancer is going to be there for the first time. The first time for gangrene, with a, a, a foot that's been affected by gangrene. There's others, you know, with respect to strokes and sort of a, you know, and a depiction of a brain, you know, impotence, a baby affected in you know, a hospitalization, open heart surgery. So there's many different ones because different ones resonate uh, with different people. They're English and French, one English on one side, French on the other. They're very stark. You know, there's others about bladder cancer and secondhand smoke and can cause lung cancer and heart disease. You know, they're, they're quite impactful. And for kids, you know, kids, you know, what others think of them is very important. This is kind of like a bad product, like a hat or clothing or a hairstyle. And, uh, you know, this makes the product less attractive, you know, to be seen uh, amongst others. Rob Cunningham of the Canadian Cancer Society. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is a Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, Ontario's doubling down on nursing home inspections to ensure operators comply with the rules and residents are protected. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. The province now has a team of 10 investigators designated as provincial offenses officers who have the authority to add more accountability in long-term care with the aim to help address the most serious forms of 
non-compliance. So, will these 10 make a difference? Jane Medes is a lawyer at the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. Jane, just how much is it needed and is this enough? It's very much needed. Um, we really need to have this legislation enforced. Whether it will be enough is we'll see in time whether or not they're using the investigation process and actually charging homes when required. What do these 10 do that the others are not, and how many other investigators are there in addition to this team of 10? Currently, about one inspector for every two homes in the province. So we probably have around 250 inspectors, give or take. And inspectors go into homes and they inspect on complaints. They do proactive inspections. Um, There's a variety of jobs that they do. And they go in and inspect and see if people have complied with the legislation. But they're not investigators in the way that we think of, like, as a police would investigate. So these new investigators are going to be looking at some of the more serious issues. So I, I don't know exactly how the ministry is going to have it work, but I'm assuming that inspectors are going to refer some cases. Some cases will come through the action line and be directly funneled to their to the investigators. And they're going to be able to go out to the homes and do an investigation more akin to what a police officer would do. But they also have other tools and they can lay charges, which inspectors cannot do. So they will actually be able to charge individuals or homes when they find non-compliances that are very serious. So that's that's sort of the general difference. And charges, we're talking possibly fines and or uh, prison time. Right. You know, in the system that we have right now, the inspectors cannot lay charges under the Provincial Offenses Act. So they do make orders, and there can be a monetary penalty if an order isn't complied with. But in some cases, an order isn't sufficient, or it just doesn't it doesn't make any difference. So, for example, if they are supposed to report something and they are serious, for example, a home is supposed to report abuse and they do not do that, that's a defense. But you, there's no point in making an order because by the time an inspector comes, they've obviously discovered that this has occurred. So they can't order them to report something that they already know about. So there's never been really a good way to ensure that homes are doing the kind of reporting that they're supposed to do. And so this, for example, would allow them to charge a home if they fail to report something. Would a home know that this investigation's unit, a member of the unit, would be coming, or would it be a surprise? As with any inspection, it will be a surprise. Now, if it's coming through something that's happened through an inspection that's already taking place may have some idea that they are are going to have an investigator but my presumption is that for the most part that will be a surprise where could this lead this new unit of these 10 investigators where do you hope it leads to in terms of watching out for the care of long-term care residents you know there there hasn't been a charge laid against the home and since about 2008-2009. As I said, many of these orders or you know non-compliances that are found don't have a lot of teeth to them because you know they're just told, well, don't do that again because there's no ability to do an order, for example. Because homes can fill all their beds because we have such a shortage of beds, there isn't any pressure on the homes to necessarily comply. 
And so this is going to push the homes to comply in areas that they haven't done in the past. And of course, the vast majority of homes do comply and are great. It's the ones where we see things again and again, have huge amounts of problems, and they're just, this is just a tool that's been there but hasn't been utilized in a very long time to ensure that homes are, to put the pressure on the homes to comply. And hopefully that kind of pressure will ensure that the homes are complying and maybe we're not going to need so many people in the unit anymore in the future. Who knows? Now, the NDP's long-term care critic, uh, Wayne Gates, says bolder moves are needed, better pay, working conditions for for staff. I mean, that's something that's been talked about, not just by him, but by so many for, and yourself included, here on the station, for years. I mean, I guess that's an obvious one, right? Or obvious ones, what he's calling for. Absolutely. You know, there's some people that seem to think it's an either or situation. We either have, you know, investigators or we have proper pay. And of course, that's not the situation at all. And we need to have both. And we need to ensure that staff have good working conditions, that they're paid properly so that they can actually do the jobs that they're supposed to do. Overall, for the one listening who has a parent, parents, loved one in a nursing home, should they feel better? I don't know what to what degree you might think, but should they feel better now with this move? I think so, because I think there are homes, you know, as I said, the vast majority of homes, this is not going to make any difference to. But I think for people who end up in homes that have poor compliance records, there's not, you, you can't just pull somebody out and move them, you know, because you don't like it, you know, because there's such a blockage in the system because there's so many people. And so I think that this is going to hopefully push some of the, you know, the poor homes, the bad actors into compliance because they are going to, you know, be facing these hefty fines and there is a possibility of imprisonment as well. So I think that's probably highly unlikely, but definitely fine. Jane Medes, lawyer at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. With technical production by Ian Robertson. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.